In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, When you pray, go to your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father in secret. Christ doesn't say, if you pray. He assumes we pray. But how do we do this? Trying to pray can be one of the most difficult and frustrating endeavors. In this episode of Physically Spiritual, we will begin to answer the question, how do, should I pray, by exploring the three expressions of prayer. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Welcome back to Physically Spiritual. As we get started, just a couple reminders. If you want to support everything we do here at Awaken Catholic, consider becoming a member of the Awaken Nation. I'm now also uh, putting up a piece of bonus content for members of the nation at the end of each episode. So go over to awakencatholic.org forward slash donate to become a member of the Awaken Nation. If you want to experience the full Awaken Catholic experience, get the Awaken app. It's the best way to watch or listen to all the shows on Awaken Catholic. It includes access to the premium content if you're a member of the Awaken Nation, music, uh, extra um, uh, prayers, and also access to discussion boards for each of the shows to interact with the show hosts and get more content. Go to the awakenapp.io or the Google Play or Apple Store to get the Awaken app. We are also partners with Hollow. Hollow is a Catholic meditation app to help you find peace and grow in your spiritual journey. To try out Hollow, go to hollow.app forward slash awaken. And finally, if you want to find my coaching practice, if you want help applying any of the ideas we talk about on Physically Spiritual, uh, access to the, the episode show notes or my writings, go to becominggift.com. So what is prayer? What on earth is it? We don't often stop and ask that question. It just seems like something humans do. And certainly most have throughout all history. If you look at almost every culture, they have some notion of God in some way that they pray, both as a community and as individuals. The Catechism of the Catholic Church quotes St. John Damascene, who says, Prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God or the requesting of good things from God. The raising of one's mind and heart, right? Your reason and your will. You're directing these to God. Um, but how do we do this? Right? I want to start out by just recognizing it's not something we're naturally capable of. It's something we're naturally drawn to do, right? The, the desire, the instinct to pray, to turn towards something that's beyond us, seems to be something in human nature, right? Shared amongst cultures, non-Christians especially. But the capacity to pray, the ability to actually raise the mind and heart, right, your reason and will to God who transcends, right, that's something beyond our human capacity. It's, it's something that God gives us. It's grace. So I would encourage you to look at the Catechism, paragraph 2697 to 2724. This section of the Catechism is on these three expressions of prayer. 
The whole fourth section of the Catechism on prayer is gold. It, it's an awesome treatise on prayer. It's like the prerequisite if you want to do spiritual reading or understand what the church talks about prayer. So if you've never read that section of the Catechism, do it. It's what you need to do to start to understand prayer. This section talks about three expressions of prayer. Vocal prayer, mental prayer, or, uh, or meditation, and contemplation, contemplative prayer. So I'm just going to go through these three different expressions. First, vocal prayer. Vocal prayer, I like to just think of vocal prayer as talking to God like he's actually there. <laughs> talking to God like he's actually there. Meaning if you're doing it out loud and somebody walked in the room, they should think you might be crazy. And that's okay. It's also uh, possibly also just in your mind. Right? When Jesus' followers asked him, Lord, how should we pray? He gave them a vocal prayer. He gave them the Our Father. Uh, so vocal prayer is, is essential to prayer. Catechism verse 2700 says, By words, mental or vocal, our prayer takes flesh. Right? Our body prays. Yet it is most important that the heart should be present to him to whom we are speaking in prayer. Right? So to pray isn't just to say words. It's to mean words. It's to say things with your heart. To communicate what you actually want to say. To be present to the words. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, following on from the verse that I quoted in the introduction, it says, he said, Christ said, do not ramble like the pagans. What he's talking here, he's not saying don't repeat things when you pray. Because oftentimes when we communicate to someone, especially if it's something we feel a lot, we'll say it over and over and over again. Like if it's something you're worried about, you might talk it over and then talk it over and talk it over. Or if it's something you really feel, like you, you might taste something delicious and you might keep saying, oh, this tastes so good every time you take another bite, right? So it's not, it's not an order not to repeat yourself. It's an order not to have hollow words, meaningless words, heartless words. So at the heart of mental prayer is your affections, your heart, the, the attractions and repulsions that you experience, what you mean. Um, and what's this has sometimes been called is mental prayer. This idea that your prayer isn't just a formula. It's something that is engaging your whole person. Uh, Catechism verse 2562 says, According to Scripture, it is the heart that prays. If our heart is far from God, the words of prayer are in vain. It's the heart that prays. Well, what's the heart? I love this verse, 2563. The heart is the dwelling place where I am where I live, according to the Semitic or biblical expression, the heart is the place to which I withdraw, right? In our introduction, go to your inner room, the place to which I withdraw. The heart is our hidden center beyond the grasp of our reason and of others. Only the Spirit of God can fathom the human heart and know it fully. The heart is the place of decision. That's key. Deeper than our psychic drives, it is the place of truth, where we can choose life or death. It is the place of encounter. Because as image of God, we live in relation. It is the place of covenant. The heart's the place of decision. The heart's the place of covenant. So let's take a look at our chart on the powers of the soul or the faculties of the soul. Because this helps with all these terms that we're using, all these words, these church words we're using. If the heart is the place of decision, the place of covenant, 
what we're talking about is the will, right? But the will is not an isolated faculty, right? It's not like a, a computer in our in ourself that just uh, disinterestedly chooses between two options, right? The, the heart is the will is the rational appetite, the rational appetite, meaning it's it's a drawing. It's we do what we're attracted to, we do what we think the good is. So it's rational because it's part of the, our rational soul, meaning it, it's influenced by what we know. So the, the more we know the truth, the more we're drawn to things, to universals, the more we're free, right? The more our, our, our will can, um, can choose things that transcend our drives, right? This, this uh, verse from the Catechism said that the heart transcends our psychic drives, right? There's something about it beyond our body and, and our brain. But on the other hand, our heart is also affected by our passions, our affections, our attractions and repulsions to the things of the world. Um, so, so this idea of heart is this meeting place at the core of the person where everything we experience meets our identity, our personhood, and then from it comes our choices, right? The expressions of ourself going out into the world. So to have mental prayer means we're engaging our heart. And remember, we're only capable of doing this by grace because it's the theological virtue of faith that gives us an actual, substantial, experiential knowledge of God, not just as a concept and not just by uh, induction, by looking at God's uh, creation and then inducing his, his presence, his existence, but a, a real knowledge of God. So it's by that, that gift of faith that our heart is directed to the divine that transcends. So to pray, true mental prayer, is a work of the heart. All right, let's go to our second expression of prayer. Our second expression of prayer is discursive. It's meditation. And let's leave that chart of the faculties of the soul up on the screen. If you're just listening to the podcast, you can get this chart of the faculties of the soul or the powers of the soul in the show notes or on becominggift.com. Uh, so feel free to go and check that out. But I'll try to explain it in a way that you don't need to see it either. So meditation, it's important. Meditation is a discursive process. That word discursive just means proceeds by reason. So meditation is almost a synonym for thinking or a synonym for reflecting. And uh, it's really important to, to realize that because in our culture, we often think of Eastern forms of meditation when we hear that word. And the goal of Eastern forms of meditation are either focus, awareness, or emptiness of mind. Uh, but it's not necessarily a, a discursive process of thought. So when I say meditation, empty out the images of the yogi in a robe, you know, sitting in lotus pose with his fingers together or whatever. Like, just get rid of that. Meditation is simply thinking about. So when I talk about meditation or you try to meditate, all I mean is thinking about things. So in a way, we're all meditating all the time. We're just not meditating on God. We're meditating on the stuff we're stressed out about or the jerk that um, cut us off in traffic, right? We're, we're sort of letting our mind ruminate on things. So when, when I talk about Christian meditation, what I mean is intentional and willful thought about God by the gift of faith, but also through God's revelation, 
meaning the scripture, the teachings of the church, the traditions of the church, or by God as experienced in our life, right? God present in our life and in the people around us. So in meditation, we're essentially moving from the creature to the creator using a mental process or working through a way that God has revealed himself to us with our mind. So when we look at the powers of the soul or the faculties of the soul, what I'm using is my reason. I'm thinking about these things to go from particulars to universals. And I'm also engaging my passions. So I'm, I'm engaging with whatever I'm thinking about, whether it be a scripture passage or an experience of my life, and I'm allowing that to impact me. It's happening physically, right? If you hooked my my body up to sensors, you would see my brain being active. You would see my emotions shifting, my nervous system shifting as I'm experiencing these things in my mind. And it's also a spiritual practice. It's engaging these faculties of the soul, these powers of the soul. Uh, so a catechism verse 2705 says, meditation is above all a quest. The mind seeks to understand the why and the how of the Christian life in order to adhere and respond to what the Lord is asking. The required attentiveness is difficult to sustain. We are usually helped by books, and Christians do not want for them the sacred scriptures, particularly the Gospels, holy icons, liturgical texts of the day or season, writings of the spiritual fathers, works of spirituality, the great book of creation, and that of history, the page, the page on which the today of God is written. That's, that verse is just beautiful. It's gold. Meditation is a quest. It's a thinking. It's your mind seeking God in your life, in the scripture, in the teachings of the church, in the writings of the saints. But it's difficult to sustain. It's important to recognize this. A lot of what we have in the world today is anti-meditation. I like to think of binging on YouTube or Netflix is literally anti-meditation because what you're doing when you're binging is there's something that's impacting your senses and you're receiving it passively, meaning your mind is completely passive um, and, and there's no there's no attention by will. It's all attention by attraction. So what's happening in a binge is, is your capacity to to be aware, to pay attention, to choose to think about what you want to think about is diminishing. While that, that draw of your passions, that concupiscence, right, your heart being drawn by whatever looks good, feels good, whatever is being exacerbated, that's being strengthened. Uh, so, so your lower nature is being, uh, is being strengthened while your higher nature is atrophying. So by, by binging, we're literally becoming less capable of meditating. It's becoming something that we're not capable of doing. Um, I'll get, get back to that later as we talk about how to start doing this. But we're, we're helped by things, right? We're not meant to meditate in a vacuum. As Christians, we don't empty our mind. The mind is never empty. Try to empty your mind, and maybe you're, you're actually just thinking about a black wall, or maybe you're trying to focus on a noise or something. But regardless of, of how much you try to empty your mind, your mind is never actually empty. The consciousness is always full. We, we, we can't stop but experience the world around us or the world that's presented to us by our internal senses. So the mind is never empty. So we need to fill the mind, meaning using the scripture, using the gospels especially, icons, images, uh, the, the text of the mass, the daily mass readings, uh, spiritual books, 
the creation itself or our life. These are all different things we can meditate on to fill our mind with the things of God, but then engage. Right? So the paragraph 2708 in the paragraph in the catechism says, meditation engages thought, imagination, emotion, and desire. This mobilization of faculties is necessary in order to deepen our convictions of faith, prompt the conversion of heart, and strengthen our will to follow Christ. All right, let's pull back up the faculties of the soul, the powers of the soul. So what it's saying is here is we're engaging all of the powers of the soul. We're engaging the reason. We're engaging the will. Right? We're, we're choosing what to think about, and we're thinking about it. And by doing this, we're coming to deeper convictions of faith, meaning our mind is extracting from the things we're studying the truth of God, the truth of, of God's creation and of God's revelation. But it's also engaging our attractions. The catechism uses the word uh, a conversion of heart and this strengthen our will. So there's this, this, this deepening, this mobilization of our faculties, it says, our emotions and desires. So what we're talking about here is that we're actually engaging our passions by thinking about the scripture, by uh, thinking about the, our faith that God gives us. We're experiencing passions toward God, literally love, desire, joy, hope, and, and daring, courage. We're being drawn to what we're experiencing in our imagination and memory by by meditating. So we're literally doing uh, like faith calisthenics by meditating. We're taking our, our mind through the process that our body and our soul are experiencing God as if he's there because he is there, right? But we just don't think all the time. Sometimes he feels distant or we want him to be distant. So what we're doing by meditating is we're using an active process of the mind to reveal the truth of reality, whether it be by looking at our lives and seeing God's presence, both gratitude for what God's doing and sorrow for the ways I've pushed him away, or the, the reality of the scripture, the reality of the faith, whatever it is. In practical terms, we're trying to accomplish two things by meditating, and you'll see these two words if you read classic books on meditation. The first is a consideration. A consideration is a thought, a realization. So early on in meditation, uh, you're going to have a lot of maybe these considerations. It's like you're reading scripture and you, something just comes together, right? It, it's a knowledge about the faith, a knowledge about Christ that you didn't have before. And this is important early on, especially as you're learning the faith, like someone who's an RCIA or, or joining the church should meditate on the creed and on the teachings of the church to come to considerations that they truly understand what they're choosing because you're only free if you know, right? The freedom of the will is dependent on the light of reason, the, the, the uh, working against that wound in our reason of it being darkened. And then secondarily, the other thing that we want to accomplish in the meditation are affections, meaning movements of the heart the movements of the passions and the movements of the will to God who is there. Right? We're, we're trying to experience the, the deeper reality that's typically not accessible to our senses through whatever we're meditating on. So we're trying to have an affection, an experience of God who is present. And by doing this, what we're doing is we're, we're forming our whole person. So those wounds of sin, the darkening of the mind, the evil and the will, the concupiscence of, and weakness of our passions— Right? We're directly working against these wounds by meditating. 
we're coming to a, a lightness of reason, a truth in our reason, a strengthening and a goodness in our will, and, and we're directing our passions toward God, uh, toward the truth of faith. So this um, meditation process is a healing process, which makes it particularly difficult. <laughs> so when you try to meditate and you've never done it before, it feels literally impossible. <laughs> and that's okay. Just imagine that you've spent your whole life in a hospital bed, binging on Netflix, and now you're going to try to walk. <laughs> well, how are you going to do that? You might start off literally with someone else holding you up, right? And that's kind of what the hollow app is that we talk about at the beginning of the episode. They have guided meditations where there's a lady or gentleman who speaks a meditation into your ears. So they're like holding you up or there's other Christian guided meditations on, on YouTube or wherever that you can get. And then there's meditation books that go through uh, these different uh, movements and considerations of the mind. I would especially um, recommend two, if you're looking for a good meditation book to help out. The first one, The Better Part by Father John Bartunik. Just awesome. Goes to the, the lectionary. The other one is called Divine Intimacy. It's by Sister Magdalena. Um, so those are two great books that can be, think of them like crutches, right? Okay, now you can walk more and you don't need someone holding you up. Now you need a, some crutches or a walker or a railing to hold on to. Well, these books that you use are like these crutches. And then you get stronger and eventually you can go directly to the scripture yourself and form considerations and affections. Right, So now you're not using the better part or you're not using uh, divine intimacy, which it's fine to use those for use it for a decade. Like, don't be in a rush here. It takes time. Uh, now you're going to go to the scripture yourself and pray and meditate on it. And, and you're going to now have the strength of mind, the imaginative power, the ability to direct and control your memory in order to, to form these considerations and affections. And then finally... What, what we come to over time is a progressive simplification of prayer. Simplification of prayer. Uh, and by the simplification, what happens is eventually we can move these faculties of the soul without starting with any particular content. Meaning we're able to form an affection, a prayer of affection or a simple prayer of the heart, but without the discursive process that goes before it. So it's like you're praying a vocal prayer with your heart without needing to say or think the words, or you're moving your heart by God's grace, uh, but along with your formed will to a point where the meditation would have brought you, but without the discursive process beforehand. Right? This is sometimes called the prayer of the affections. This is what Father um, Reginald Gergou Lagrange says in The Three Ages of the Spiritual Life. He says, the greater the simplicity the more perfect also the union. Right? So the greater the simplicity, the more perfect also is the union. However, this grace of simplicity is not obtained by speculation, but by a great purity of heart. This is essential. One of the greatest errors that's come into the church by uh, an inappropriate um, taking on of Eastern forms of prayer in meditation is the idea that we grow in prayer by our perfection of technique. Technique is helpful, especially, you know, when you're on those early stages and you need some kind of an aid, right? Whether it be the, the, the uh, vocal aid or the book aid that carries you as you're strengthening those legs of meditation. But this progressive simplification of prayer isn't achieved by simply performing the technique 
and learning a new technique and perfecting the technique, it's achieved through intimacy. And we become capable of intimacy with God to the extent that we're like God. Right? So this meditation process is a purification of our faculties. Right? It's, a, it's a healing of the wounds of original sin by God's grace along with our will. And it's through this purity of heart that we get to a deeper point of prayer. So the simplification of our prayer happens because our faculties are healed by the progressive work of healing and elevating grace that we're disposing ourselves to by being faithful to the meditation and prayer. All right. Now let's move on to the idea of contemplation. Contemplation, this section of the catechism can be a bit confusing. I think it's really talking about both mental prayer in general, the heart of mental prayer, and also what's um, contemplation proper in the the spiritual tradition. Um, So the spiritual tradition that I'm working most strongly out of is Carmelite spirituality, especially as expressed in the doctors of the church, St. Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross. So when they talk about contemplation, they mean something pretty specific. And it's actually different than uh, other doctors of the church. Like when uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola says contemplation, he means something somewhat different. And when the catechism talks about contemplation, it's not quite as specific as John and Teresa are. So when I'm saying contemplation, I'm meaning it in the specific context that John and Teresa use it. For them, contemplation is infused prayer. That word infused means to fill and still soak or pervade. So it's a prayer that's from God to the creature. Meditation is like a bottom-up prayer. I'm going from the creation to the creator by a discursive process that's empowered by God's grace. Contemplation is the opposite. It's coming from God to me to transform my nature because I've opened myself and disposed myself to receive it through this process of purification of heart, right? So it's something God gives and God sustains. And all I can do is dispose myself to receive it and not put up obstacles in the way, either by my sin or insisting on meditating when God's giving me the infused prayer. (laughs) Um, So this is what the Catechism says in paragraph 2713. Contemplative prayer is the simplest expression of the mystery of prayer. We achieve the simplicity, like Lagrange says, through the progressive purity of heart. It goes on to say, it is a gift of grace. It can be accepted only in humility and poverty. Contemplative prayer is a covenant relationship established by God within our hearts. Remember, the heart's the place of covenant. It's the place of decision. Right? The heart that's in covenant with God, so this covenant is, is a relationship, uh, it's a vow that makes family, right? that brings people into communion with each other, or one flesh union with each other in marriage or in the fruit of the new covenant, the Eucharist. Right? So, so there's covenant relationship with God, which I, I realize fully by becoming more and more like God, being more and more infused with the theological virtues, having my nature healed and elevated by God's grace. It it, uh, finishes by saying, Contemplative prayer is a communion in which the Holy Trinity conforms man, the image of God, to his likeness. So we're created in the image and likeness of God. Sin damages human nature. And so what happens is, while we're still in the image of God, the likeness of God is diminished in us. So what happens in contemplative prayer is it's, um, 
It's by God's grace, uh, both a communion with God and a purification to God. It's a molding that happens uh, in our life. It's, it's, a, it's taking our spiritual life to the next level. If you think of, a, of an analogy of like transportation, <laughs> so we start meditation like we're uh, you know, atrophied and we need someone to carry us. And then we get into crutches and then we walk. And the prayer of the affections is kind of like riding a bike, right? Everything is kind of working in concert. We're getting along pretty well. Well, contemplation is like the internal combustion engine spiritually. <laughs> like it takes it to the next level, but it's not just like a stepwise increase. It's an exponential change of how, cl- how quickly we're getting toward God, whether it be through a car or even through a rocket ship, <laughs> right? That's contemplative prayer. It's that journey into the heart of God. So in, in the next episodes, we're going to talk some about the three ages of the spiritual life, or Teresa's seven mansions of the spiritual life. And in that, we're going to dig more specifically into contemplative prayer and when that happens and how that happens. Um, but for now, that's an introduction to the idea of contemplative prayer something God infuses and gives in us when we are disposed to it. So you might be thinking, this is a lot of information. And information is helpful. Uh, so one of the things that helps is spiritual reading. One of the, the easiest ways to start meditating is actually through a prayerful spiritual reading. I mean, you can pick up a good spiritual book, read a sentence, and then talk to God about it. Read another sentence and then talk to God about it. Read another sentence and then talk to God about it. You're, you're just a little bit at a time expressing with your heart what the spiritual master is expressing on the page, right? So you're conforming your heart uh, to the ideas that are expressed by John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila. Uh, but these are some good starts. So for, if you want to start spiritual reading, like I said, read the Catechism on Prayer. That's the prerequisite. Start with the doctrine of the church. It's a great summary of the church's tradition and the church's uh, dogmas on prayer. I would say there's first-tier spiritual books. These are like introductions. If I were to go back and read just one spiritual book of everything I've read, I would pick up the book Time for God by Father Jacques Philippe. Time for God. Contemporary, jam-packed, full of wisdom, practical, beautiful, awesome introduction. Uh, Two other authors to look at for a first-tier introduction. You could go to Father Thomas Dubay. Two books, either Prayer Primer or Deep Conversion, Deep Prayer. Uh, Prayer Primer talks more about the practicals of how to pray. Deep Conversion, Deep Prayer talks about this dynamic of purity of heart and growth in prayer. So they complement each other really well. And the third one would be Into the Deep by Dan Burke. Uh, Great introduction on how to pray, Lectio Divina. First-tier spiritual book. So read the Catechism and then pick up at least one of these first-tier books. Second tier book. What your second tier book is going to do is it's going to give you an overview of the spiritual life. It's going to both go deeper in teaching you how to pray and understand how God works and how you work and then how to work together. But it's also going to give you a vision according to the history of the church and the spiritual doctors of the church about how to pray. If I were to just pick one second tier book, my favorite, I mentioned it in the, the last episode about prayer is Fire Within by Father Thomas Dubay. It's basically a summary of the teachings of John of, of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. Some other second-tier books to consider would be Navigating the Interior Life by Dan Burke. Very, very practical. He gets in there about the practicals of spiritual direction, but also about the whole vision of the spiritual life in general. Or The Fulfillment of All Desire by Ralph Martin. These are great second-tier books. 
after going through these and getting a great foundation, right, the foundation in the doctrines of the church, how to pray, the basics of the spiritual life, and a vision for the spiritual life, with this foundation, you can then branch out. Maybe you've already picked up some spiritual books by saints or on a specific topic, or maybe somebody recommended something to you, and it was interesting and it might have been inspiring, but on the other hand, there might have been a lot of it that didn't make sense, right? All of it makes sense in light of this core teaching on the spiritual life, which you're going to get in the catechism in these, these introductory books that I just brought up. So by having this foundation, then you can branch out into saints' writings, into various contemporary writings on topics, both be able to tell what's coming out of the authentic tradition of the church, because frankly, there is stuff out there even by Catholic publishers that isn't from the heart of the church in the heart of the tradition. And then also understand what the saints are saying in context, right? Because what the saints are saying is in the context to specific people at specific times or in the context of their life. So a lot of times to understand what that means for my life, I have to translate it. I have to understand what they meant and then apply it in context to my life now. So uh, get that good foundation and then go into these other spiritual books. All right, so that's a tangent on spiritual reading. So let's put it all together. Thinking about these three expressions of prayer, vocal prayer, meditation, and contemplation, it's sort of like taking an animal and dissecting it in a lab. But in reality, when we sit down to pray, it's just mental prayer, meaning your prayer time will probably include vocal prayer, prayer of the heart, meditation, and maybe even contemplation. And there's going to be kind of an organic flow back and forth that happens. Um, so prayer in reality is an interplay between these three expressions, an organic flow between these three expressions. So some prominent examples of mental prayer that people do are things like the rosary, uh, the Jesus prayer, Lexio Divina, which is meditation on the scripture, or uh, using one of these meditation books like The Better Part or Divine Intimacy, or, or uh, another guided meditation attempt. So you might think of like the rosary and think of, well, when I pray the rosary, am I supposed to say and mean the words, or am I supposed to meditate, meaning thinking about the mysteries that I introduce at the beginning of each decade? The answer is yes. You're supposed to do both or either. It's fine. The idea is you're getting to the point of the prayer of the heart, the movement of your affection or the accomplishing of a consideration along with God's grace. So whether you're, you're praying the words and meaning the words or you're entering into the mystery with your mind, right? the idea is that you're getting to the point of mental prayer with it. Right? The way not to pray the rosary is just to get the rosary done, right? just to finger the beads and say the words and be distracted and not mean them. Right? It's better to say, one decade with full attention, with mental prayer, either meaning the words or meditating on the, on the, the mystery, than it is to pray all 20 decades of the rosary without attention, just fingering the beads. Uh, things like the Jesus prayer, just repeating the prayer from your heart with your breath. Lord Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? Meaning those words, meditating on that reality. Lexio Divina, entering into the scripture, Right, you're going to pick up the scripture. You want to start with a vocal prayer, putting yourself in God's presence, maybe making a morning offering or, or just some kind of introductory prayer asking for the Holy Spirit. Then you read the scripture and you think about it. Then you talk to God about it, more vocal prayer. But the idea is you're engaging at, 
the reality that God is there. And then you're engaging your mind, your imagination, your memory, your will, and your reason with what you're finding in the scripture, either by a composition of place where you're imagining what's happening in the scripture, or you're going deeper into it that way. Uh, so these are uh, examples of mental prayer. You're putting it all together. In two episodes on the series on, on prayer, we're going to have a whole episode about meditation. We're going to go into different meditation techniques, uh, and we're going to break them out and teach them. Um, so this is just meant to be kind of a, a primer to that. In closing, I want to talk a little bit about praying with the body. This is physically spiritual. Um, so what we're talking about is the intersection between physical health and spirituality. Uh, so prayer is also praying with the body, right? Cate or Catholicism is real fleshy. Like you go to church and there's a lot of sensual stuff. There's holy water and candles and incense and stuff we eat. And then you listen and you sit and you kneel and you stand, right? We pray with our bodies. Um, even the most, um, the most seemingly uh, spiritual meditation or contemplation, if you were to hook somebody's brain up to uh, an fMRI or some other way of scanning what's happening, uh, what you would see is the body is engaged and active, right? It's not like it's all just suspended. Now, there are special graces, um, whether it be a, a, a grace of, um, of something like a rapture, not necessarily something that everyone experiences in the spiritual life, even the holiest saints, um, where the faculties can be suspended, right? But that's not typical. That's not the normal experience in prayer. So we're praying with our whole body. Catechism paragraph 2702 says, The need to involve the senses in interior prayer corresponds to a requirement of our human nature. We are body and spirit, and we experience the need to translate our feelings externally. We must pray with our whole being to give all power possible to our supplication. Right. So sometimes when you do vocal prayer, like I was on a, on a retreat once, terribly distracted the whole retreat. I had um, I'd been infatuated with this girl leading up to the retreat, and the whole time I'm trying to pray and meditate, and and my head was just full of uh, her. <laughs> um, but I discerned that I wasn't called to date her, so I had to move my heart beyond it. At the end of the retreat, I simply just started to, to talk to God out loud. Like literally sitting in, in my room or in the chapel, full voice, sometimes louder than full voice, talking to God. And that, that engaging my body, fully engaging, uh, saying the words out loud so I heard the words, expressed the words, I finally broke through that layer of distraction, that layer of, of emotional noise that I was experiencing. Um, so we, sometimes we need to engage our whole body. The Catechism even takes it further, drives it home. 2703 says, This need also corresponds to a divine requirement. God seeks worshipers in spirit and in truth, and consequently living prayer that rises from the depths of, of the soul. He also wants the external expression that associates the body with interior prayer, for it renders him that perfect homage which is his due. The Catechism is saying it's a commandment to pray with your body. It's a commandment to pray with your body. Now, of course, this is within your physical capacity, but doing things like kneeling before the Eucharist, this isn't like optional. It isn't secondary. It isn't unimportant. We're, we're a body and soul composite. So when I my body kneels, in a sense, my soul kneels. 
I'm, I'm changing my soul by changing my body. It's all one person. Now, you might not be physically capable of kneeling, and, and certainly God doesn't withhold grace or hold that against you, and that's fine. But, but these postures, these words, this engagement of our body isn't secondary. I'm not a detached spirit. Like, my body is me. And there's so many lies, both from our, our modern worldview that either makes us a body without a soul or a soul without a body, or makes it all just an illusion, right? It's all just an illusion, and I'm just a, like a, a, some like consciousness that's going to be assumed into some universal consciousness when I die. Like all of that isn't Christian, right? I'm a body and a soul, a whole person who prays. And then so our choices we make on how to pray and when to pray are important. Catechism paragraph 2691 says, The choice of a favorable place is not a matter of indifference for true prayer. For personal prayer, this can be a prayer corner with the sacred scriptures and icons in order to be there in secret before our Father. In a Christian family, this kind of little oratory fosters prayer in common. It's not a matter of indifference where we choose to pray. Uh, this is a lesson I just learned really powerfully recently. I was in a class on prayer with the Avil Institute, and um, and in that, uh, Dan Burke, who was the instructor, kept bringing it up both in, in a question in his book and then finally in, in, in the final class, this idea, do you have a place to pray where you don't do anything else? And I thought, I don't have extra space in my house for that. Like we, we're going to have multi-purpose prayer space here. Um, but I kept bringing up over and over again in my reflections how distracted I was in prayer. And then he talked about the weakness of our senses. So when we pray, it's a huge help to have a space that's dedicated to prayer, right? So it doesn't trigger any other memories or imaginations along with it. And then everything we experience with our senses, from seeing icons to maybe even smelling incense or candles— uh, the, the lighting, the feel, is, is supporting our, our senses toward the prayer and meditation we hope to do at that time. Right, so I, uh, with God's grace, set up a chapel in our basement, and it's made a world of difference in my prayer life. Um, so this is a process for me too. So I would encourage you to, to consider that. Consider that process of how I can make a space to support my senses in prayer. Like if, if I'm literally in a bed— atrophied, can't walk um, because of my spiritual sickness. And I try to pray, and every time I pray, I basically fall over. Right? I'm just awash in distractions. I can't focus. I can't pray. Well, build the supports. Right? Use the Hollow app. Pick up a good book. Uh, get a good space to fully engage your body, mind, and soul in the prayer that you want to do. All right. And, and, and as you do that, it's also a gradual process. And it's a process that takes time. Uh, so be patient with yourself. It, remember, the, the mind, the human mind does not empty. It's against human nature to have an empty mind. If you think your mind's empty, you're probably thinking about a black wall or just repeating a, a noise to yourself or something like that. It's still full of something. Um, so in the times that, that you leave space or that your will's weak, your imagination will come up with things to think about, whether it be what you're worried about or that girl uh, that you know you can't ask out, or whatever it is, like on my retreat. Um, so the gradual process, so give yourself time to grow. Right? Uh, God's playing the long game with us. 
So let's start playing the long game with him too, giving our whole life to God. So if you're using crutches to pray for the next decade, there's nothing wrong with that. Like you don't have to become St. John of the Cross in three months. It's not going to happen. You're going to fall on your face and, and, and quit. Um, so give yourself time, this gradual process of prayer. But, but by dedicating yourself to prayer, especially daily, daily mental prayer, daily meditation, every day, start with just five minutes, move up to 10 minutes, get up to at least 20 minutes, at least 20 minutes, if not a half hour to an hour. If you're religious or, or maybe you're uh, a widowed or widower, uh, maybe your, your kids are out of the house, maybe you're young and single, go to two hours a day if you have the time to still perform all your duties. Like Give generously to the Lord, but build up to it. Uh, in that, that process of daily fidelity, it's going to heal your wounded nature, and, and more and more you'll become not just the image of God, but also be the likeness of God in the world. This show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by the Awakened Nation and the Hollow app. The Awakened Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app slash awaken.